My name is Aaron Gill, and I'm a creative producer at the Gap Arts Project, and I co-wrote and directed the audio production of the Gap's youth theatre piece, Just Another One of Those Days. Before we begin the play, I wanted to give you some context into how this came into life and why we're doing this. Originally, back in 2020, the Gap was to produce a live piece of theatre, and we were looking at the original production of Roy by Big Brum, which was about the last man in Birmingham to be hung. That was the year 1962. He was a young black man from Jamaica named Oswald Gray, and Oswald lived on Cannon Hill Road in Borsal Heath. Incidentally, that was the road that I was living on at the time. Uh, it was a story about migration, state violence, race and identity, global themes in a local setting, global themes that were really, really pertinent uh, and still are to, to our times now. And it was performed at the Cave Arts Centre, which is an old art centre that no longer exists. But it used to be on the Mosley Road in Borselheath and was one of the first art centres in Birmingham centering black and Asian arts and culture. It was uh, funded by the Arts Council and ran by the Probation Service, and I'm sure there's a very interesting story behind that. Anyway, all of our ideas of reproducing Roy came to a pause because of the pandemic, as we couldn't produce live theatre. So part of the funds that was marked for that then went into supporting new writing. The Gap asked me, as an emerging theatre writer, to think of a matter that interested me and linked to the Gap's own explorations. At that time, I was closely following the work of No More Exclusions, an abolitionist campaign group campaigning against school exclusions, amongst other things. As I learned more about it, met a few of their key organisers and learned about how exclusions is a historic and systemic issue that is pertinent to race, class, gender, neurodivergency and more, it became so obvious to me that this is what we should be writing about. Why do we exclude children from education and from other parts of public life. Why those children, often poor, working class, black young people? And how do carceral logics and technologies get brought into and tested in the school? Things such as detentions, security cameras, metal detectors, school police officers and more. After I had the idea and had done some research, including uh, oral history interviews conducted by my team member, Ella Marshall, she interviewed um, various people we've had with different experiences of school exclusions. I asked Beth Slynn, a writer and performer friend of mine, who had recently completed a writing mentorship scheme at The Gap, to co-write with me. And both of us, under the tutelage of The Gap's associate artist, the playwright and dramatist Chris Cooper, wrote the play. We have since then, with the generous help of the sound extraordinaire Kate Thompson, uh, we produced it as an audio piece so that it can be shared about and made accessible for a wider audience than just having a live play. The production sits within the umbrella of a larger project ran by The Gap called The Otherwise Project, which is a series of creative and participatory explorations with young people that explores, challenges, interrogates and rethinks the old ideas that shape contemporary education. And you can find more about that by heading to our socials and heading to our website. So that's just a bit of info about the play. Um, hope you enjoy. Just Another One of Those Days, written by Beth Slynn and Aaron Gill. Directed by Aaron Gill. Sound by Kate Thompson. Just Another One of Those Days was performed by the Gap Youth Theatre, with the cast as follows. Narrator, performed by Amira. 
Marcus performed by Ibrahim. Pastoral worker performed by Mohammed. Mom, Miss Clark and Jennifer performed by Rayan. Keegan and defence lawyer performed by Ilhan. Simeon and PCSO Jones performed by Aaron. Scene one. Welcome to Borsal Heath, a small but busy working class area in South Birmingham. Welcome to Marcus's bedroom. It's a cosy room. There's a single bed against the wall with the poster of the boxer, Anthony Joshua, behind the headboard. At the back of the room is a window. It's held open by an old dusty brick. The window lets in sound of children playing across the road in the park. Partly blocking the view, however, is a tall, dirty lamppost with a CCTV camera glaring at the passing families. Back to Marcus's room. There's an old record player on top of a worn cabinet with dozens of records in a cardboard box. Also on the cabinet is a roll of masking tape and half a dozen or so of pin badges. Marcus, a 15-year-old black boy, walks in and opens the curtains to take in the morning. He turns around and is overcome with shock, so much that he can't move. In front of him is a wooden chair with his school uniform laid out neatly over it. The shirt and blazer over the back of the chair, the trousers over the seat, almost as if the uniform has a life of its own. Marcus can't stop staring at it. His mum shouts to him from downstairs. Marcus, you up there? Yes, Mum. I'm off now. That field trip letter, it's signed, on the table. Thanks, Mum. Marcus, I'm not back too late. All right. But there's loads of stuff in the fridge, and your lunch is there too. Sound. And Marcus? Yes, Mum. I love you. Love you too, Mum. And remember, leave ten minutes early so you're not late. See you later. Yeah, yeah. Marcus cautiously steps off his bed and makes his way to the record player. Avoiding the school uniform at all costs. However, that proves an impossible task. He knows he has to get dressed today. With his eyes staring hard at the floor, he pinches his shirt and pulls it hard and quickly over his head. The problem is, he hasn't undone the buttons. So there he is, head stuck in the neck of the shirt, eventually squeezing through it. After putting his trousers on, he turns to the blazer. It's big, it's grey, and it might be the ugliest thing Marcus has ever worn. He takes it off the chair and holds it up, giving it a stare. On the front of the blazer is school's logo an oak tree with the motto, success, nothing less, stitched in. Marcus turns the blazer over and stares, more grey. Embroidered across the back is the word inspired. He slowly puts it on, arm by arm. The blazer is oversized. After a sigh of relief, Marcus shakes himself to wake up. He goes to the record player and switches it on. Yo, big man, yo bruv, wake up, let's go. Marcus? Marcus leans out of his window. It's his friend, Leon. Bruv, keep it down. Too early still. Come Marcus, you can't be late on your first day back in it. <sighs> Marcus gets out of bed, puts on his shoes and pins three badges to his blazer. A Black Panthers badge, a Trans Ally badge, and lastly, a badge of the Palestinian flag. At that moment, a small stone flies into the room through the window. Marcus rushes over. Yo, what the hell? Nah, I'm sorry, but that wasn't me. Fam, there's a CCTV camera sh staring straight at you, you idiot. And what? It's your third eye? I'm sorry, innit? Anyway, hurry up. Said we would meet Jamal before school, innit? Bro, I still got three minutes. Anyway, allow Jamal. Where's he been? He didn't come see me for the past two weeks. Been holed up by myself. I'll be down and it's actually time to be down. 
Marcus picks up his school bag, unzips it and pulls out a copy of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It is a well-worn paperback copy. The cover has various tears and has been repaired with masking tape many times. He holds it tight as he jumps onto his bed and opens a book. He reads, mumbling to himself. As he turns the page, the paper rips. At first he is shocked and worried. He stares at the torn page. He then continues the tear, slowly, really listen to the sound. Bruv, let's move. Marcus looks around his room and sees a masking tape next to the record player. He goes over and tears him off. He comes back to the bed and stands over the book, repairing the page. Coming, man. Sorry, forgot to close the window. Scene two, a school classroom in Warsaw Heath. The room is as you would expect, with rows of tables and chairs. One of the walls has a Black History Month display, complete with portraits of Barack Obama, Martin Luther King, Kamala Harris, and Ella Fitzgerald. More prominent, however, is the big behavioral expectations poster and the British values poster. It's just the last few minutes of lunchtime and everyone is getting ready for the afternoon form time. Yarrow and Keegan, two of Marcus's friends and classmates, have just come in. Keegan, don't lie, don't lie. Yarrow, I swear, I've seen him at the gym with his cousin. What gym? K-Star in Highgate. What? They don't do junior classes. Obviously they do, dum-dum, or Jake Smith wouldn't be down there, would he? Seriously, though, because my mum looked on their Instagram, innit, and she said that they don't do junior classes. Your mum's lying. And why are you letting your mum check for you? Because I'm not on Instagram, man. My mum doesn't want me on there showing my life to everyone, so... Nah. What about TikTok? I thought you had TikTok. Nah, but TikTok is dead anyways. Man's life moves in more than 30 seconds. Your mum is strict, man. Oi, waste. What does it matter about my mum? Show me K-Star on socials, then. Yeah? Turn away from these cameras, then. Safe, safe. Marcus, you scared me, man. Thought you were Miss Clark. Yeah, you really styled that one out if you thought I was Miss. Where'd you two dash off at lunch? Couldn't find you when I came back. There wasn't enough room for us on that table with that blazer, bro. Yeah, your mum thinks you're more hench than you are. It's not even that big for me, idiot. So, what are you two looking at, then? We're stalking Jake Smith to see how he practiced the one bomb he used on Reese. What happened? Come look at the video. Boom! There he is. I told you, fam. Oi! That's brutal, fam. That's how he got Reese in it. With that Andrew Ruiz Jr. sloppy double hook. Hey, look at it. Look at it, fam. Yo, got Reese when? You missed it, fam, whilst you won fixed term. But I've seen Jake Smith in biology this morning. Yeah, but Reese was the one that got caught in it. That's messed up, bro. I'm gas case I'll do junior classes. Keegan, come spar me now. Come then, Yarrow. <laughs> Marcus, bruv, you should have come. It's not far from your house, you know. Nah, he won't come. Nah, Yarrow, I'm not into it, you know. Or what do you do, box each other up, though? Leon comes in and is excited to see Marcus in form. Yes, Marcus. Safe, Leon. Brother's back in form. You good, fam? Come, let's take our seats. I'm blessed. Yo, forgot to show you this morning. Simeon passed this to me last week. Marcus shows Leon a 12-inch vinyl record. Yes, yes. Bring it over to the shelf next time. 
Leon looks over to Keegan and Yarrow, and then looks to Marcus with a raised eyebrow, as if to say, what's up with them? They laugh with each other. Marcus, bro, you seen the new PC plods around yet? Nah, not yet still. I can't believe it, but, like, I can believe it. This place is getting madder and madder, you know? As the bell rings, Marcus rummages through his bag and accidentally pulls out his torn and taped copy of Frankenstein. Leon sees the book and grabs it. Marcus, what happened to that? Is that from English? Careful, Leon. Yo, you Frankenstein of Frankenstein. You need to hide that still. Mr. Rice will screw, and Miss Clark probably. Marcus takes the book back and hides it in his bag. He rummages to his bag again, looking to find his signed field trip form that his mum left him that morning. At that moment, Miss Clark walks in. She's a white English woman in her early 30s. She wears a suit, flat shoes, a lanyard and a face mask. She carries paperwork in her arms and a walkie-talkie around her waist. As she enters, Keegan and Yarrow stop shadowboxing and take their seats. Both do a quick spot check of their uniform and Keegan tires his tie. Leon nudges Marcus to stop rooting through his bag. Marcus pulls out his field trip letter and looks up. He looks a bit nervous. After all, it's been a few weeks since he was here. Afternoon, Tennessee. You're early again today. What happened to you all over lockdown? Ah, yes, before I forget, I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad news, Tennessee. Mate's field trip has been cancelled. Oh. It's just too risky to take so many bubbles to one place. Marcus looks gutted. He puts his letter down and looks off into his own thoughts. He absentmindedly folds the sleeves of his blazer to fit the length of his arm better. I know it's disappointing, but it's just the way it is this year. We're all used to disappointment. We're going to look into something else outdoors in its place. The class murmurs and Miss Clark touts to herself, but really, you get the sense, she's turning back at them. She gets the afternoon paperwork out of her bag, loudly, cutting over the murmurs. Her back is turned to the class. Right, before I do the afternoon register, any behaviour sign-offs for me this morning? Marcus is still in his own thoughts. Miss Clark turns around and notices him. What? Sorry, no, miss. She raises her eyebrow a little. Marcus notices. Miss, am I in trouble? I don't know. Are you? You don't seem to be listening. I was listening, miss. I was just thinking too, innit? Keegan and Yara look excited. Leon looks uncomfortable. There's a pause. Miss Clark scans Marcus's blazer. I think I've told you about those badges before, haven't I? They're just more obvious now, miss, because of his giant blazer. Shut up, Keegan. Thank you, Keegan. I'm not going to ask you again to take those off your blazer, Marcus. They aren't in your school uniform, and that tie is not tied to school standards. I just... We've spoken about this multiple times, haven't we? They're not hurting anyone, miss, and you don't pull up Yarrow on his... <coughs> right, that's a D1. What? But, miss, I didn't even... That's a D1. Get your stuff together and get down to isolation, please. Please, I've only just got back in. Like, this isn't fair, miss. I'm not having you pull up on me trying to maintain school standards. Not today. Marcus is frustrated and trying to hold it back. He packs up his stuff and walks to the front of the classroom. He hands out his behaviour sheet for her to make the note. Miss. Go on, I'll radio down so you don't get lost this time, hmm? Scene three. Marcus passes the front of the barber shop where Simeon is sweeping up and closing for the day. Simeon sees Marcus and beckons for him to come inside. Marcus moves slowly, subdued, and enters the shop. On one side of the room, there are barber chairs and mirrors. The other side is a sofa, a coffee table, and another small table with a hi-fi system complete with a vinyl player and a box of records on the side. Marcus stands in the middle of the shop he checks the mini-fridge, grabs a grape K.A. soda and sits down on the sofa. He puts his bag down, unzips it and pulls out his Frankenstein book. Here he is. How's that first day then? Not so bad as your face says, eh? Mm. 
<laughs> Too busy for Anthony, are you? Let me say, how's your day been then, boy? Hmm? Your shoulders are doing more work than your tongue there, eh? Hey, Mum. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't looking at my phone. At the shop. Just walking about. I will. I'll put it on loud when I get... I'll put it on loud when I get out of the gate. It was okay. A bit. Nah, I'll tell you when you get home. Nothing big. Okay, yeah, hang on. Monique, what do you say? Mm -hmm. They've been taking liberties with you, Monique. Mm. Mm, no good. Yeah, I'll get that on for him, yeah. Mm. We're making our way back now. All right, man, it's nothing. Say it's nothing, no trouble. Mm. Little more. There you are, Marcus. I'm looking for you, I'm doing your dinner. Your mum's been kept on late to work. Simeon finishes sweeping and puts a broom away. Now, are you going to tell me what a bit of trouble means? I got another D1. For nothing. <sighs> Against him, it's the same everywhere. None of that. What happened? Same old. Miss Clark pulling me up. I can't be bothered. <sighs> You're going to tell me about it while we walk back to your kitchen. My stomach sounds like a thunderstorms are coming, and yours does too. Come now. Simeon picks up Marcus's bag off the sofa and carefully hands Marcus the copy of Frankenstein. Come now, I said. Not going to solve anything sat there, are you? Coming. Scene four. The school playground. It's lunchtime and Marcus sits on the concrete floor against the metal bars that separate the street from the playground. He's eating curried Caribbean food with a plastic spoon straight from the lunchbox while sipping from a can of ginger beer. Leon comes over and takes a seat on the floor next to Marcus. Without saying a word, Leon coolly reaches into the inside pocket of his blazer and pulls out a shiny metal spoon. He then starts eating from Marcus's lunchbox. The two sit in silence, sharing a meal in the afternoon sun. Leon starts to eat a little quicker, and soon enough, he starts to cough. But he doesn't slow down. He reaches for the fizzy drink to wash down the rice and peas in his throat. Marcus, yo, the food's good, isn't it? Then eat it properly. Don't just inhale it. Bro, it's a compliment. Your mum could open a restaurant that. Like, we can have our own table in it. And then, when we're not there, they can put one of those reserved things on it. Real classy in that. Hmm, yeah. Bro, these need metal detectors at the gates. It's madness. Hmm, yeah. Getting Carter to bring in the spoon in, get me? Can't be dealing with those plastic things. Leon grabs Marcus's plastic spoon. Bad for the environment. Kills whales. Kills us. Kills Miss Clark. Food don't taste the same, innit? Oh, crap, sorry. He hands the spoon back. Gonna have to hide my spoon in the school somewhere, innit? They'll probably mistake it for a knife next time. Sure. Marcus sits absentmindedly, slowly and repetitively folding the arm of his blazer up until it fits. Bro, like, what about if you got, like, like a metal foot or something? 
you know, Chucky's sister's got something like that. Like, bionic. Hmm. Marcus, what's going on, man? Nah, nothing. Don't worry. Just tired, innit? Yeah, I hear you, bro. I was up all night, too. The new card map just dropped, innit? Bear hard. Hardest one yet, I think. But I'll clock it in a couple of days. Maybe they got zombies jumping out. Nah, off. ain't like that, man. What's it like, then? Just different. Like, you know, sometimes, like... Oh, forget it. It's stupid, innit? Nah, nah. Go on, fam. Like, it's mad, innit? The world is mad. The world is, like... You can't even put it into words, like... Like, someone took a dump, nasty one. That dump... It, it gave birth to another dump. It's even nastier. And it was, like... It was, like, a life. And it could, like, speak. And it's, like, um... Like, they smear it all over you. Like, all over you, and they tell you, like... You have to, you have to try and make sense of it. And what, like, make sense of it. They tell you, like, slavery and that. It's like, okay, why am I here? They tell me to, like, understand, like, that's why I'm here. Okay. It's like there's a room in it. Everyone is inside and they're all, like, giggling and, like, preparing these dumps, like, getting bigger. I'm on the outside. But, like, that's fine, because why would one be on the inside? But right now, there's nowhere to go, so, like, I'm thinking, you know? What are you thinking? I have love in me the likes of which you can scarcely imagine and rage the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other. That's... That's Frankenstein. Frankenstein's monster. Yo, that's serious. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. A break. You need a break, innit? Hmm? Come by my auntie's shop. Her mate's shop. You know, the one on Edwards Road? The massage shop? Yeah, she'll give us a free massage, innit? Well, Alaska. Us? Bro, you ain't using me so that your auntie's mates can rub you up and down and that. <laughs> nah, it ain't even like that, I swear, fam. Leon gets up and kneels behind Marcus. He starts massaging his shoulders from behind. He told me it's like energy healing. Takes away the bad vibes and restores them to the positive ones or something. <laughs> <laughs> At this moment, a tall white young man walks over. He wears a white short sleeve shirt with a bright blue stab proof vest over it. The letters PCSO are stitched onto it. He is the school's new police community support officer. He smiles at the boys as he walks over. All right, boys. Lovely day. All right. Just saying hello. No need to be rude. Leon stops massaging Marcus's shoulders. He sits down again and continues to eat from the lunchbox with his shiny silver spoon. We're not being rude. We're just being. Let us be. Move. Sure. Sure. I get it. Look, I won't be long with you. I'm just doing the rounds, so you know. Introducing myself to all your schoolmates. Just so you can put a name to the face. Okay. Okay. So what is your name? Fam, I know you. <laughs> you do? Yeah, you did security for Asda in it. The one in King's Heath. My mum thinks you're buff in it. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, that's not me. My name is Jones. P C S O Jones. Uh, and, and yes, look, if you have any trouble, any worries, then um, you can talk to me. P C S O Jones hands each of the boys a business card. 
It's the end of lunchtime. Marcus and Leon gather their belongings. Marcus stands with his blazer draped over one arm and holding his ginger beer in the other hand. You good? Yeah, yeah. See you at the end of the day. Don't be late, innit? Sim's expecting us. 3.40. On the dot. Laters. Yeah, man. Laters. Leon leaves quickly as his next lesson is on the other side of the school. Marcus turns around and notices PCSO Jones staring at him. 3.45. What? 3.45. School finishes at 3.45. Marcus notices that his shoelaces are untied. He kneels down to the floor, places his drink down and begins tying up his shoes. No way. It's 3.40. Like 20 to 4. Look, I don't want Sim to be wondering where you are. Also, 20 to 4 is 3.40. It's not like 3.40. Okay, but it's 3.40. School finishes at 3.40. Son, what you need to understand is... Marcus, still tying his laces, looks up at the PCSO. He's getting frustrated, perhaps even a bit angry, but he checks himself and remains clear. It's 3.40. It's 20 to 4. School finishes at 3.40. Wrong. Son, calm down. That's no way to... Bursting with energy, Marcus stands up and strides towards the PCSO. Look, man, what school do you go to? None of them. Exactly. I go school. My school. My school finishes at 3.40. The PCSO is in shock, lost for words. Marcus picks up his ginger beer, flings his blazer over his shoulders and turns to leave. Instinctively, the PCSO snatches the arm of the blazer from Marcus's back. The blazer arm tears. Marcus notices and turns to stare at the PCSO. You ripped my blazer. I'm sorry, that was an accident. What would you rip my blazer for? Look, I'm sorry, but... You know how much these things cost. But it was an accident. You can't... But nothing, man. My mum, man. He shakes the blazer in the PCSO's face. Calm down. You're overreacting. It's a blazer, man. Mental ass, yes? Look, young man, it didn't even fit properly. And please keep the language calm, otherwise I'm going to have to... Have to what? Screw you. You're in my damn blazer. You're going to pay for it. Uh, what's that? It's new. Not new, but like new, idiot. You're going to make me pay for it? I said you're going to pay for it. Right, that's it. You can't threaten a member of staff. Threaten? PCSO Jones lunges towards Marcus and grabs him by the shoulder and arm. Marcus drops the blazer and the can of ginger beer which spills all over it. What are you doing? I think you've done enough. PCSO Jones handles Marcus and they both leave the playground, heading towards the school. The playground is empty but for the blazer and the spilt can of ginger beer. Scene 5. The school's isolation room. The room is small and plain. High up on the back wall, where the wall meets the ceiling, is a small rectangle window. The room is being redecorated. There's a ladder against one of the walls, and a tin of paint underneath it. If you look carefully, you can see faint hints of graffiti, but you can't read it all as the school has stuck a motivational poster over it. The poster is a quote from the psychiatrist Victor E. Frankel that reads, Between stimulus and response is space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The only furniture in the room is a single desk and two chairs. Marcus sits alone in one of the chairs, staring at the quote. His torn blazer is laid out on the table. He carefully folds it. Why does it have to be this way? Can't tell you now. Can't tell you to say. Just next day. <coughs> bruv! Bruv! Keegan pokes his head sideways through the small window. Bro, heard you messed up that fed. What? Keegan disappears. 
Oi, bro, come back. Yarrow takes Keegan's place. He too posits his head exactly at the right angle to see inside. Marcus, do you box the feds? Didn't box no one. Yarrow, move. Marcus, people are saying you had a fight with that fed. Did you? I didn't fight him, man. Whoever's saying that needs to shut up. Who said that? All right, calm, calm. What happened? Oh, Yarrow, back down. I'm getting the information. Calm. Marcus holds up his blazer for Keegan to see. Look what he did. Yo, dip. Keegan closes the window and leaves. Soon after, a young South Asian man enters. He's in his late 20s, wears a casual shirt, tie, smart trousers and a face mask. He carries a satchel across his shoulder and paperwork in his hands. He seems like he's in a rush as he comes in suddenly, speaking immediately. Sorry I've taken so long, Marcus. There's been too much happening around here today. You know, being a pastoral worker is harder than being a teacher, but they don't tell you that, do they? Anyways, sorry, Marcus. It's calm, sir. You spoke to my mum yet? Yeah, I just got off the phone to your mum. What did she say? Listen. Can you take off your mask, sir? Ah, uh, yes, yeah, sorry. The pastoral worker opens the window and then takes a seat. He's clearly hot and bothered, so he undoes the top button of his shirt and loosens his tie, all whilst puffing his cheeks and blowing out. <sighs> it's so hot. Wow. Why is the temperature this high? I swear every school I've ever been in turned the radiators up when it's hot and down when it's cold. Yeah. Especially the top floor. You know, the maths department, it's the most... So, what did my mum say, sir? She suggested, and I agreed, you're both coming in on Monday to discuss next steps with me and the head of year. Marcus, are you even listening, mate? I am listening. Marcus, what happened today? I... This is going to be really hard if you don't be honest with me, mate. There you go, sir. Excuse me? There you go. I don't have the space. You're not giving me space. Right. Go ahead, go ahead. I've been sitting here, staring at this quote in my face, sir, thinking, like, that fed... Are you talking about PCSO Jones? We don't call them fed in the UK, Marcus. Does it matter, sir? I guess it doesn't. Sorry, you're right. Go on, go on. Like, you've put this here. The quote says, in that space is our power to choose our response. And I do, man. I choose. That's on me. That's me. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I don't know. But him, that that fed, that PCSO, no matter what response I choose, he's going to have the... Nah, he's he's going to take the power. He decides what the real-life response is. That's what his job is. Some kind of power maintenance man. You're really smart, Marcus. Really smart. We're going to get to the bottom of this, all right? Um, paperwork. PCSO Jones reported that after your blazer was damaged... He damaged it. ...that you threatened him. You said, you're going to pay for that? Is this true? I said he needs to pay for it. Pay it back, reimburse it. Not, he's going to pay for it. I am smart, sir, so why would I step up to the school's new fed and start a fight? That's stupid. But there was an altercation, wasn't there? A disagreement about the time? The time school closes? Yes. And you pressed him on that? Yeah, because he was wrong. And when you pressed him... Sir, stop it, please. Marcus, as your pastoral worker, I've got to stand up and clarify to the head of year what happened here. Does it matter, sir? Clarifying this. I'll get another fixed term, then I'll be out. That's already decided, basically. So why are we pretending? I'm not pretending. I'm doing my job, Marcus. Do you think that there might be a possibility that you might be better suited to a different learning environment? You what? You can't just, just decide that. I'm not deciding anything. It's in your control. There are several options of how this can go once we sit down Options? With... 
I get options. So come on, you know that's lies. Marcus, it's been a long day, hasn't it? You must be frustrated. The pastoral worker takes a packet of biscuits from his pocket. He eats one and then offers one to Marcus, who politely declines. Let's put this in bed now and let Tempest cool down. We can all get in a room together on Monday. Until then, we'll send you some work home. Sound. We'll sort this out. Marcus continues staring at the coat. He gets up to leave and takes the blazer carefully over his arm. He picks up his bag. The pastoral worker holds the door open for him and claps Marcus on the shoulder as he walks past. See you next Monday. Scene six. It's a couple of weeks later now. Simeon's barbershop is quiet, just the one customer at the moment. Simeon is taking it slow, chewing on sunflower seeds and spitting them onto the floor where they lay between fallen hair and bits of tobacco. Marcus comes in and puts his bag down near the sofa. He sits in the empty barber chair, checking himself in the mirror as he uses a comb to tidy his hair. Ain't no place like home. That's what they say. Who's saying that? I don't know, like people. What people? The guy, the guidance counsellor. <laughs> don't be listening to people. People say all sorts. Home? They took our home. Marcus gets up off the chair and goes to the fridge. He opens it, stares into it, closes it and gestures to Simeon as he walks back to the sofa. He lies down flat on his back and pulls a barber bib over his face. Empty. Don't worry. I'm starving. Aren't we all? Leon be back soon with the good stuff. Hey, that reminds me. Look in the record box. With slow and laboured movement, Marcus pulls a bib off his face. Gets up and looks in the record box. He pulls out a carrier bag. Yeah? It's for you. Open. Marcus opens the bag and pulls out a new copy of Frankenstein. He looks towards Simeon and smiles. Simeon smiles back. Thank you, Sim. It's everything. Marcus sits back down on the sofa and with glee flicks through the book. He closes his eyes and smiles the pages. At that moment, the radio turns from music into the news broadcast. A gifted footballer, Dalian Atkinson was a hero to his fans. He played for a number of clubs but was perhaps best known for his time at Aston Villa. But the court has heard that he lost his life after being tasered and kicked by police officer P.C. Monk of the West Mercia Police. Monk denies using excessive force against Atkinson despite using his taser against him for 33 seconds, more than six times the recommended amount of time. As the former footballer lay on the ground, PC Monk's colleague, and then girlfriend at the time, PC Ellie Bitley-Smith, struck his legs with a baton. The court has heard that Monk then kicked Atkinson so hard that he left an imprint on his forehead. Monk was cleared of murder by the jury only the other day. But today, many years after Atkinson's death, they have found Monk to be guilty of his manslaughter. Marcus gets up and turns the radio off. The room is still for a moment. He pulls out a record from the box, Linton Crazy Johnson's Faith Culture, and plays the album from the top. He lies back on the sofa. Music of blood, black, reared pain, rooted Leon comes into the shop. He brings a carrier bag filled with the good stuff, shawarma chicken, pepper soup, and other delights. Marcus sits up and smells the air. 
Leon takes the food out of the bag and onto the table. The energy of the shop feels different somehow now. What's good, Marcus? Yeah, what's good, Leon? Thought you might be here. Why? Just had a feeling in it. I got some strips for you. Leon passes the box of chicken strips to Marcus and then rummages through the carrier bag to find a plastic spoon to eat the part of baked beans. Yo, where's your spoon gone? Yo, don't get me started. That PCSO Jones. Fam, he took it off me. What? Yeah, man. I was walking into school. Morning. Detectors go off, innit? My man starts touching me up in that. Makes me take off my watch, my belt. And makes me walk through it again. And it's still beeping, innit? Bleep, bleep. Okay. And then he, like, puts his hand in the inside of my blazer, goes in the pocket and pulls out my spoon. Said it was, like, against school policy. That, like, he didn't want me to get into trouble. I tried to tell him that it was good for the environment, but he dipped straight away. Man, probably went to use it. When did this happen? Like, two weeks ago. Marcus, you need to catch up in it since you left. I didn't leave. Kicked out, suspended, excluded. But I'm coming back. Yeah, my bad. Excluded, in it. Since you got excluded, too much stuff been happening. Like, they got this new front door and fingerprint ID. Yeah, maybe some other time, Leon, yeah? Yeah, yeah, of course. Simeon walks over to Marcus and takes a piece of chicken from his box. He picks up the new copy of Frankenstein, sits in the barber chair and flicks through the book. Marcus, how do you read this? Is it another language? <laughs> you got to, like, I don't know, feel it in it. Makes my head feel funny as what? Man like Keegan. What's good, Leon? Bro? Marcus, firm your phone. Answer it. What? Keegan, come. Eat it up. Marcus picks up his bag, takes out his phone and scrolls. Marcus, there's a lady, like all in a suit or something, knocking on your door. What? I saw her talking to your neighbour. Couldn't hear what about. She looked pissed, though. Bro, go check it out. Yeah, give me a sec. Marcus finishes eating and gives the box of strips to Keegan. He quickly but methodically cleans his hands with tissue before collecting the book up from Simeon and putting it into his bag. Later then. Call me if you need me. Yeah, will do. Safe. Scene 7. The kitchen in Marcus's home. There's a small round table in the middle with four chairs. Marcus sits at the table. On the other side is Jennifer, the pastoral worker at Marcus's previous school. The table is full with two large stacks of paperwork that Jennifer has bought. A large fruit bowl heaving with apples, oranges, bananas and lemons and a cup of tea that Marcus made for Jennifer. They're both a bit nervous and sit in silence. Marcus looks down at his phone whilst Jennifer taps on the large stack of paperwork. She sips the cup of tea and quietly glances at Marcus in the gaps between the objects on the table. Really nice cup of tea, thank you. Welcome. Yeah, I don't know where he is. I think he had to finish one more cup before he could make it down. That's okay. I should have arranged this ahead of time, really. Mum called you. Yeah, sorry I took a second. Sajid changed his mind on a last minute, I'm afraid. Couldn't get out straight away. Good to see you, Simeon. Are you still doing handshakes? Jennifer! Let's try an elbow bump, eh? Right, what's going on then? This is weird. <laughs> you got a cup of tea on. Good man. Where's mine then? Marcus rolls his eyes and gets up to start on the tea. Go on, good man. Right, yes. So she's probably told you both, but I've always kept in touch with your mum, Marcus. Hmm? You know, to see how you're doing since you left us. So ideally, I would do this when she's here, but I'm off on annual leave for two weeks now, or I would have waited. But if you're happy with Simeon acting as your guardian while we do this, Marcus? Marcus brings a tea over. He isn't sure where to put it, with the table being so full. Simeon, seeing his discomfort, takes the fruit bowl off the table and puts it onto the floor. 
Marcus plunks the tea down on the table. Yeah, yeah, of course. What are we doing, though? Right, yes, of course. So it's one of those where things sort of come at the same time, really. Your mum told me you'd been moved onto the anger management programme, and in the same week I found this. And it should be shared with you all, as it uh, might help or might not help. It needs to be shared with you. You just need to read this. And what is this, Jennifer? This. So, when a school does any kind of disciplinary action, they have to record it for evidence or to justify the disciplinary action. Basically, every D1, every report card, every back chat, any uniform pull-up, conversations with your mum, with Simeon, it's all recorded. It's all in there. And all of this would have been passed to your most recent school and probably to this PRU. What kind of madness? I knew it. I knew it. They've been on me. I ain't been making it up all this time, man. Calm yourself, Marcus. We don't know what's what yet. They might have just been doing their job. They've been trying to take me down. Simeon opens up the file and scans through the papers. What? Uh Uh-uh. What does it say? Hey, listen, I've got to get going, but I've been in touch with a friend who works at your current school, Marcus. Marcus isn't listening. This is important, Marcus. We've been talking about your formal transfer to the PRU. A formal transfer? Huh? I'm just on a 10-week anger management course. They haven't been honest with you, Marcus. I'm sorry, but they've basically handed you over to this PRU permanently. And unless we can build a case, you won't be going back after you've completed this course. What? It's called off-rolling, and technically, well, it's illegal. Marcus is in disbelief. He stands up and starts pacing around the room. I'm sorry, it's not okay. So why the hell can they get away with it? They won't. I've spoken to Monique. I've spoken to some colleagues. We're going to challenge it, okay? Marcus, I'll be seeing you when I get back, all right? Simeon nods her off as she leaves, whilst Marcus is getting more and more irate. Come on now, Marcus. Read me what it says about me. Let's sit down and we can read it together, eh? Marcus! It's not fair. Everywhere, man. Every damn time. Marcus, what are you doing, man? Come pick these up. It's not fair. You're all liars. Hey, you want me to call your mom, eh? It's not fair. No. It's one madness after the next. You're right. But you heard, Jennifer. We're going to see to this. All of us, we're going to see to it, and we're going to get some justice. Justice? You think she gives a damn? No one gives a damn. Marcus, come now. We do. She do. Miss Jennifer. She wouldn't be coming down here risking up her job if she didn't care. That's what you think. Even when you think they do, they don't. Sim, when you think people get it, like, no one gets it. You don't get it. I feel like a problem that everyone's trying to deal with. I don't feel like... like... T- tell me. Marcus, I'm listening. you got all my ears. I'm done with this. Scene 8. Marcus's bedroom. The window is closed. The curtains are closed, and the brick that usually keeps the window open is lying in the middle of the room, on the floor. Otherwise, the room is tidy and calm. Marcus lies, still on his bed. Morning, Marcus. Marcus. Marcus, are you up there? Yes. You're going to be all right? What? Yes, of course. Just, you know, there's eggs. Load them. Use them. And take some to Sim. Eggs? Yes, eggs. There's loads of them. Take some when you go to Sim's. He's expecting you. Yes, I know. I'll see you later. We'll have a nice dinner. Love you. Yeah, laters. Mom? Yes, Marcus? Actually, doesn't matter. Marcus slowly peels back the curtains and peeks out. He steps out of the bed and walks to the record box, flicking through them one by one. 
Nothing takes his interest today. He walks out of the room and comes back swiftly with a large bag for life. He sits back down and reaches underneath the bed for the clothes that he tossed there last night. He puts them on one by one. A white t-shirt, black tracksuit bottoms and a pair of white socks. He puts on his trainers too. From the bag he takes out a number of files, the ones left by Jennifer the other day, and sets them down on the bed. He picks up his backpack, opens it and moves the files into it. He looks at the bag for life and all of a sudden nerves get a hold of him. He reaches into the bag and carefully pulls out his torn school blazer, still sticky with ginger beer. He holds it up high, taking a good look at the front and back. After a deep breath, he puts on the blazer and finishes by pinning a couple of badges onto the lapels before putting a brick into his backpack, zipping it up and leaving the house. Scene 9. From the distance, we see Marcus walking up the road that leads to the front gate of school. As he approaches, with a look of confusion, things seem to have changed. What the? There's a shiny metal chrome door with a printed notice that reads School Gate 1. Ring buzzer for entry. Have your fingerprint ID ready. Overlooking the door is a CCTV camera. Marcus walks to the door, takes a breath and rings the buzzer. Hello? Yo, it's me, Marcus. Hello? Marcus looks around. There is no one and nothing around. He sits on the floor, leaning against the door. Pulls out his phone. Yo, Leon, it's me. What's going on? I'm at school. The doors are all, I don't know, can't even get in. Help me out, you know. Message me back in it. Safe. He pulls out his copy of Frankenstein from his bag and begins to read it. After a couple of pages, he loses concentration and becomes distracted. He puts the book down and then takes a file from his bag. He sits still and slowly reads it. Hello? Can you even hear me? Are you ignoring me? Marcus hurts his hand, but that's the least of his worries. He picks up the files and waves them to the CCTV. Answer me. Why won't you speak to me? He presses his hand and forehead against the door. Why you, why are you, why are you even doing this? Marcus headbutts the metal door. Tired and head slightly sore, Marcus steps back to catch his breath. He stares into the camera. I see you. I know you see me. Take a look. Look at me. Go on, that's it. I know what you're doing. As he's speaking, Marcus takes off his blazer and holds it against the door. He takes a roll of masking tape out of his pocket and tapes it to the door so that the word inspire is facing out. I know the game. Me, Jake Smith, Reese, we all know. With your stupid forms, stupid social workers. You never gave me a chance. Never. This is what you say I am. Marcus picks up the files and throws them at the door. He walks off but comes back swiftly with a brick. He throws it at the CCTV cameras and then spits on the floor. Screw you, monsters. He looks around and walks away. Scene 10. The police station's reception area. Marcus and his mum, Monique, who is wearing her nurse's uniform and coat, are sitting down. Marcus's blazer rests over the arm of the chair next to him. Voicemail. Who are you calling? I'm calling the right lawyer. Your auntie Marlene knows her. Who? She's a community lawyer. Same woman who saw your Uncle Jeffrey last year. We need someone who knows what they're talking about. We need to go visit Uncle Jeffrey. 
We will. Lord, how long have we been waiting? You eaten, Mum? No, nothing since lunch. They got my bag. I had food in there. When will I get back my bag? I don't know, love. I told you already. It's evidence. Try not to worry about it. We've got to get back those documents. Isn't there a vending machine? I'll hold out. A white woman in her early 30s walks in. She wears a suit and holds paperwork and two teas in her hand. She is Marcus's defence lawyer. Here we go. Thank you. OK, we're looking at criminal damage. They could try to spin aggravated criminal damage. Aggravated? Mm. The lawyer goes to hand Monique a flyer with the information. Marcus takes it. Details are in there. They're trying to say that turning up to school evidences your intent to damage school property. I intended to speak to someone. She hands him another flyer. What happens now? At this point, if you plead guilty to whatever they charge you with, from there, you'll be trialled at a youth court where a referral order will be made. She hands them another flyer. As you have no previous convictions or offences, if you plead guilty, a referral will be made where most likely you'll be given a community sentence and a contract of work. I've seen what happens to young black men who plead guilty, and if he doesn't, my legal advice is that he does, depending on the analysis of culpability. She casually hands over another flyer. Marcus misses it. It drops to the floor and he picks it up. As medium or lesser culpability, he could be sentenced to three months short custodial sentence. I'm done. Screwed. Marcus. I'm going to be real with you. They may try to argue that it was a revenge attack. Unfortunately, with Marcus's previous altercation with the on-site school police liaison officer, they could spin it that this was planned. But he had no weapon. He doesn't need to have had one for it to have been premeditated. Please don't talk about me as if I'm not here. Monique reaches out to hold his hand. She takes it and puts it into her lap. I think we can build a good case. I know we will. And given us waiting on your ASD assessment, this could impact the level of community or custodial sentence you receive. For now. The defence lawyer goes to hand Monique the pile of paperwork, but Marcus calmly takes it. She looks at Marcus directly in the eye. You aren't fucked. You've got my number. Thank you. Marcus holds his mum's arm. They all get up and leave the reception area and head out of the station. The blazer is left behind on the seats, and for a moment, the room is completely still. Marcus comes back in and picks it up off the arm of the chair, clenching it tightly. He sighs and leaves the building once more.